Very good. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to join us in Revelation chapter 9. Thank you for your prayers. Our little grandson was born last Sunday night. After about 30 hours of labor, praise the Lord, he's healthy, little Titus Thompson, and we're thankful for your prayers. It's really great to see everybody, and if you're with us right now and you're going to begin studying with us, um, it's kind of like you just walked into the living room with the family and we're near the end of the movie, so you got a lot of questions. We're in the book of Revelation, the last book of Scripture that was written, and so the cool thing, though, is that even if you missed the beginning of the story, um, sometimes they'll have like a Three Stooges marathon or a marathon of the Christmas story. It's, it's going to keep running. But there, there's a, a Bible-thon going on all the time. The whole story of the Bible is continually being told, read, preached, and proclaimed throughout the world. And I thank God for that because the rest of planet Earth is groping around in darkness trying to figure out where we came from, why we're here, and where we're going. But the Bible says it is the entrance of God's word that gives light. The scripture says the secret things belong to God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and his children. And so what a privilege it is to have the scriptures because there are many things that we would have no clue about if it wasn't for the inspired words of God. And God welcomes us to open our hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to teach us things that we would not know if it wasn't in the scripture. And unfortunately, a lot of people think this is stupid or ridiculous, and the Bible calls them blind and hardened and darkened. But to those of us who have had our eyes opened by the living God, we believe every word of this book. And we trust God that many more will come under its influence and power. And so as we're reading the book of Revelation, we're at the end of the story. But let me just wind up real quick to go back to the beginning of the story. The Bible tells us this is an all-powerful, all-sovereign, eternal God who exists in three equal and eternal persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And in his purpose, he determined that he would create a universe. And in that universe, join me as we back up and, and we're looking down and we see this sphere called planet Earth, this beautiful globe with land and sea. And on that little sphere and globe, this little stage, he, he created a man in his image. And out of the rib of that man, he created a woman. And then he put them in this place of paradise and, and gave them a time of testing. And we know from the Bible that they failed that test. And sin entered into the world. But in addition, as he was forming these plans and purposes, the scripture says the Lord made everything for his purpose, even the wicked for the day of evil. And so God wasn't winging it as he was going. We also know that he created an unseen world of innumerable spirit beings called angels. And we learn from the Old Testament that some of those Angels rebelled against God, led by a being named Satan, the adversary. And Satan, the adversary, in his rebellion, was able to persuade many demons to follow him. And the scriptures tell us that God at that point, Matthew 25, 41, says God prepared hell for Satan and his angels. But down here on planet Earth, God had purposed that out of the descendants of Adam and Eve, that he would call from this great multitude he would, he would allow to live, many to himself who he would redeem through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so even the plan of God to send Jesus was planned before the foundation of the world. Christ the great lamb would come to earth at a point of time, be, be, be crucified, shed his blood, and in the power of God be raised from the dead. Ascend back to heaven and send his, his emissaries to preach and proclaim the gospel and to tell them that unless they repent and believe, there's a certain judgment awaiting. And so 
in the book of Revelation, what we're finding is the book itself is called a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus, and it's about the things that are coming. When Jesus was on earth, he said, I'm going to send the Spirit of God, and he's going to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And as we entered into Revelation chapter 4 and 5, we saw that, that there was a scroll in God's hand, a title deed to the earth, in which this earth is cursed and under the power of, of Satan. But yet, as, as the angel cried out, who's worthy to open the seals? The Lord Jesus comes, the Lamb, and he begins to open the seals and pour out judgments on this earth. And we've been walking through these seals and seeing these judgments, and now we're in these trumpets. But don't miss the big picture. These were written to believers who were being persecuted, believers who were being martyred, believers who were being ostracized, who were suffering greatly. And we call this type of literature apocalyptic literature. It's full of visions and dreams and numbers, and it's not intended every single phrase to be taken literally but rather these are images and figures of which the church has wrestled with throughout history. So real quick, I just want to remind you, many of you have been told that all of these events are going to take place over a seven-year period in the future, and we're not going to be here, and that's a valid possibility. I don't say that with a dogmatism like, hey, promise you we're not going to be here. There are good arguments for that, but they're not cut and dry. At the same time, some in history have said these events took place in the first century, but the view that I lean toward is while they may take place in the future, that these are symbolic images to show us things that happen from the time of Christ until his return. And so the four horsemen, I don't think, with death and famine and war was just intended to say, that's only going to happen for seven years in the future, but that's what's going on. So this morning we are in the seal judgments, and we're going to begin, and we're only going to do one seal, the fifth seal. And as we read, we're going to see that this seal revolves around, or a trumpet rather, it, it revolves around a star falling down, but this star is a person. So this morning, I'm going to suggest that most of this imagery in verses 1 through 12 is talking about demons, okay? I don't think we're talking here about insects that are going to fly around and sting people, and I'll explain that. Nor do I think, as Hal Lindsey would say, these are actually talking about Apache helicopters that somehow he's envisioning trying to describe a future war. Okay? Now, I'm okay with people who do. I don't think they're dumb. I don't think they don't know how to read the Bible. But I want you to understand why I don't think this is talking about anything less than demonic beings. So let's start. We're going to look at about six things. The release of demons, the responsibility of demons, the result of these demons, a recount of their appearance, the ruler of these demons, and the warning about these demons. So let's start with the release of demons, verses 1 to 3. It says, The fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth. Now, I know for a fact that this is not a literal star because he's identified as a person. There was given to him, not it. You don't hand a key to a star. So my suggestion here, along with many commentators, is that this is most likely the devil. You're like, well, why would, the, why would the Bible call the devil a star? Well, it actually does. Isaiah chapter 14. How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, star of the morning. 
Didn't Jesus say in Luke chapter 10, I saw Satan falling from heaven like lightning? Doesn't Revelation 12 tell us that there was war in heaven and Satan was cast down to the earth? And so I think it would be best for that reason alone, but also the fact that it says these, these demons that were released have a king over them. And I'm going to suggest that that's Satan. The Bible describes Satan's followers as Satan and his demons. So this is Satan, okay? He, he, he falls from heaven. Some people go, no, it's a good angel. Good angels don't fall from heaven. They, they descend from heaven. And then it says the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. You go, good grief, how many keys are there? Does Jesus have a whole key ring? Well, remember in Revelation 1, Jesus says, I have the keys of death in Hades, okay? Now, this bottomless pit, it's very interesting because the, the, the Greek word here is the word abyss. And, and apparently there really is a literal abyss, a bottomless pit. This is not figurative. For example, we read in the Gospels that the demons know they're going to be thrown here. In fact, it says, have you come to throw us into the abyss? And Jesus didn't lean over to the disciples and go, they think there's a real abyss, okay? So there is this place called the abyss, the bottomless pit, and Jews understood this to be a place of torment. Now, interestingly, when Satan was cast out of heaven and those demons came with him, God could have destroyed them all right then. He could have just said, I'm nuking you all. It says in Matthew 25, he prepared hell for Satan and his angels. Why didn't he just throw them all in there? Well, the problem with when we start trying to figure out things that God doesn't reveal, we end up with if, 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 right? So we can't answer that. But we do know this, the Bible says the Lord made everything for his purpose, even the wicked for the day of evil. So even though he didn't cause the devil or these demons to sin, he, he planned and purposed it. And it's their fault. But we read, now this is interesting, some of you might not know this, we read in 2 Peter that some of these fallen angels are already in the abyss. They are already held in chains, in bondage, and in torment. So while there are many demons and Satan roaming around on the earth, some of them are already in this abyss. But what we're going to see in this passage is that God allows some of them to come out for a time. You're like, why would he do that? We got enough problems here. Well, let's read. So he opens the bottomless pit and smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. Literally, it, it describes it in the original language, a shaft to the bottomless pit. And I, I couldn't help but just think, wonder where that is on earth. Wonder where, like, there's actually a, a place on earth where, you know, somebody said New Jersey. I'm like, no, it can't be. I'm from there. Don't say that, right? But, but the point would be, look what happens. S smoke of a great furnace, the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Now, again, is this intended to be literal, that there's smoke all over the place when the demons come out going, <coughs> man, finally I could get some fresh air. Maybe not, because pay attention as you're reading. Frequently we keep reading references to darkness, 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 darkness. Darkness we saw was, was a place of ignorance, a place of, a place of punishment, a place of abandonment. And so figuratively, Satan loves to darken he loves to confuse. He loves to drag people down to hell. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, the Bible says God who caused the light of the gospel to shine in our hearts, otherwise we'd still be in darkness. 
But somehow it looks like these demons are being released. Look what it says. It says, out of the smoke came forth locusts upon the earth, and the power was given to them as scorpions of the earth have power. You're like, that's quite a stretch, Pastor Tom. They're, they're locusts. They're not demons, okay? Now, one of the things I want to remind you is that most of these judgments will parallel the Old Testament. And many of these judgments are going to parallel the Exodus and the plagues of Moses. So remember, there was a judgment of locusts. There was also a judgment of frogs, okay? So you go, well, well it doesn't say that they're, they're demons. It says they're locusts. Well, go over with me to chapter 16, just so I can kind of give you an example here. I'm sorry, yeah, 1612. It says, the sixth angel poured out his bowl upon the great river, the Euphrates. Its water was dried up that the way might be prepared for the kings for the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. Are they frogs, Pastor Tom? Read the next verse. They are spirits of demons. Okay, we're going to read about horses, but clearly when we come to that passage, I'm going to suggest that these are demons, okay? And, and we're not intended to take each detail and say, oh, I didn't know demons had hair. Are there any bald demons? But, but go back now to chapter 9. I don't think this is far-fetched to think that this is simply the release of some demons for a purpose. We're going to, we're going to see this again and again. Often in Revelation, there's these repeated themes. So there are demons that are in the abyss, and sometimes God's going to let them out, okay? And we're going to ask two questions, when and why. But for now, let's suspend that and say, okay, so the first three verses have, have shown us that there was a, a release of demons. Now, the next thing we want to look at is the responsibility of these demons. You know, it, it wasn't like they were let out so they could go, now, yeah, man, I want to go meet up with uh, the screw tape letters, my buddies, right? They were led out for a purpose. These demons do not have absolute authority to do whatever they want. They are God's puppets to unfold his purposes. So let's look at their responsibility. Verse 4, they were told that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, but any, or, nor any tree. Okay, now this is interesting because in the earlier judgments, these judgments were directed primarily at grass and water and trees, okay? This time they're told, these demons are told, leave nature alone. This time we're going to target people personally. Wait, what? Now look what they do. Who are the people that they're targeting? Only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Now again, if, if you're taking this as future, you're like, well, this is just 144,000 Jews. They're the only ones that these, these demons can't touch. But as Austin shared, and, and I agree with him, I think that those representations of the 144,000 and the great multitude are all believers. All believers are sealed of God. So, so what we have here is the responsibility of demons is to afflict and hurt unbelievers. And you're going, wait, what? I, I wouldn't, why would God do that? Why would he put a beat down on unbelievers? Okay, we'll, we'll just hold your judgment. But notice what it says. 
they were not permitted to kill anyone. Much like, remember, when Satan was, was allowed to touch Job, God said, you, can, you cannot take his life. Right? But in many ways, he also was told, but you can, you can hurt him. You can hurt him deeply. And that's exactly the responsibility of these demons. It says, they were tormenting men for five months, and their torment was like the tor torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. Now, interestingly, the Jews, and in, in much of the apocalyptic literature of, the, of this time, they had all kinds of descriptions of scorpions in hell that would sting people and torment. I mean, obviously, getting stung by a, a, a scorpion feels like torment, right? Now, I want you to pay attention to that word torment because that word torment is going to come up over and over and over again in the book of Revelation. Torment. Now, they're going to torment men for five months. I'm going to suggest here that this is not to be taken literal. Someone, someone did some research and said, hey, you know what? The life of a locust is five months. And I'm like, yeah, but I, I, I don't think... Back in chapter 3, when the Lord said to one of the churches, I'm going to cast you into prison for 10 days. I don't think they let, he literally meant, you know, you're only going to be there 10 days, and then you're going to get bailed out. Someone's going to come and set you free. So you're like, well, Pastor, how do you know when to take numbers literally? There are times to take them literally. Whenever they have the word day with them, you'll never find a passage in the Bible where it mentions days and a number that's not literal, at least in my opinion. But here, I can't say for sure what five months means, but it's quite possible that it's showing that it's a short period of time. It's not forever, okay? I don't think anybody was like, you know, when you get to COVID, it's 14 days, but if it gets stung by one of these locusts, it's five months. So set your calendar, because when 150 days are up, you're going to feel good as gold. But let's keep the big picture in mind. Demons are going to harm, hurt, torment unbelievers while they're still alive. We know God's going to torment unbelievers when they die, okay? Now, it says, In those days men will seek death and will not find it, and they will long to die, and death flees from them. Charles Ryrie, who's, who was a, 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 a man I actually knew and have a world of respect for, he said, and I, I think he probably went a little too far, he said, Based on this, people are going to try to shoot themselves and stab themselves or drown themselves, but it won't work, right? And I'm going, I, I, that's pretty hard to imagine, you know, that people are so sick that they go, honey, give me the gun, and they shoot themselves in the head and it won't happen. Or they throw themselves off a bridge, but they can't drown, they float back up. So again, we have to ask, is this intended to be taken that it will be impossible for, for people to take their own lives. I don't think so. All of us have been sick enough, have we not, to say, oh God, let me just die. We read of that in scripture. We read of Job's wife saying to him, curse God and die. So whatever this affliction is that torments people, they wish they would die. But this is not saying they're actually hanging themselves and it won't work. I can't kill myself. Okay? Big picture. Demons tormenting people. Now, so we've seen the release of demons, the responsibility of demons. The re result is that people are going to want to die, right? It's so bad. You're like, oh, God, just kill me. Some of you have never been that sick. 
Some of you are sick enough to go, God, I promise I won't curse anymore. I promise I'll read the Bible every day. But some of you have been so sick, you're like, Lord, just take me. That, that doesn't sound fun, does it? The next thing John does is gives a recount of the appearance of demons. And frankly, it's, it's mysterious, right? The appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle and on their head crowns of gold and their faces were like faces of men. And that's where I go, again, that to me does not sound like little bugs. This is demons. They had hair like the hair of men and their teeth were like the teeth of lions. And there is a lot of imagery in the old scripture for lion's teeth and devouring teeth. And remember the Bible calls Satan a roaring lion. And you're like, oh, Pastor Tom, how can you know that these are talking about demons? Well, let me give you an example. Next time you read the Bible about angels, whenever they appear on earth, what do they look like? Men. Whenever they appear in heaven, show me one example of an angel up in heaven that looks like a man. They got eyeballs all over them, wings here, there, and everywhere, wheels in the middle of a wheel. So let's not get too, you know, worked up like, well, I, I thought demons had little red tails and they run around with a pitchfork going, I'm going to get you, right? It's frightening to think of the mystery behind that. Breastplates like iron, the sound of their wings, the sound of chariots, many horses running into battle. Now, if you're comfortable, ride that wave, you know? This is an Apache helicopter and, and it's shooting lasers and it's only shooting unbelievers. It's like, I think that takes as much faith as it does to say, well, there's some mystery here, but these are scary, demonic creatures that are afflicting people. Verse 10, they have tails like scorpions and the sting in their tail and the power to hurt men for five months. So I think we can all agree on this, I think, that somehow God's going to let demons out and they're going to put a painful torment that's temporary on people's lives, okay? I hope you, you're with me there. Now, let's ask this question. When is this going to happen? Well, if you have been taught that this is all in the future, and by the way, you're not going to be here, you're like, praise Jesus. And even if that's not what the Bible teaches, that's what I believe. I'm like, stop it, right? So personally, I'm not convinced that this needs to be limited to one small short period of time that only happens in the future, okay? Because as we said, it appears that perhaps these things are designed to teach us life lessons. I came across something that I found very interesting this time when I was studying. It said, when you read apocalyptic literature, it's much like reading the book of Proverbs. It's providing you wisdom, not in straightforward nuggets like Proverbs, but insight into how God is working in his world insight into how God stands behind creation and how events of this life are guided with moral purpose and then how we should conduct ourselves. So as the first century church is reading this, what insights are they gaining here? We said that the theme of the book of Revelation, and I was just listening through the book the other day, several times in the book, John will say, herein lies the perseverance of the saints. Herein lies the perseverance of the saints. So whatever this is teaching us, it's teaching us as Christians, don't give up. No matter how bad life gets, no matter how tempted you are, no matter how hurting you are, don't give up. 
persevere and cling to Jesus to the end, even if that means you have to die. Overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony, join that great throng who persevere to the end. And we're thankful to know that God keeps us. So, the next thing we have is just a brief comment on the ruler of these demons. It says, they have as a king over them the angel of the abyss. And his name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he has the name Apollyon. And both of these terms have the idea of destroying and destruction. Now, it is possible that this is a different demon. But I would suggest that this is Satan. You're like, well, how do you know the devil's a destroyer? Well, Jesus described him that way. He comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. And as I read this passage, I'm reminded that there is a real devil in this real world, and there are real demons, and they're up to bad intentions. And we learn from the book of Ephesians that we are not completely immune to them. The scripture says we wrestle not against flesh and bloods, but principalities and powers. And so, Verse 12 says this, the first woe is past, and behold, two woes are coming after these things. And so there's a warning, as these people are reading, the warning that there's even more demons to come. And you're allowed to read ahead, but not now. Okay, don't start reading now about the next, that's next week. But you say, Pastor, you know, I've, I, I find this stuff kind of depressing. And I go, yeah, if, if, you, if you get too caught up in the details, these, these, these are not designed to depress us. We just sang salvation. We're, we just read in the word of God, we're going to be in heaven waving our palms. We're going to be on this earth worshiping God. We are kept, we are sealed. But we also need to steal ourselves in this life that it ain't easy. So as I draw out some applications, number one, let me remind you as you go, man, that's kind of frightening to think that the devil and demons could do stuff like that. Let me remind you of this. Jesus said, when the, the, the disciples came back, man, we're casting out demons. He goes, I just saw Satan falling from heaven like lightning. He said, but don't rejoice over that, that you can cast out demons. He said, rejoice that your name's written in the book of life. So the first application I get from this is, I'm getting my praise on. You know why? Because the Bible says in Colossians chapter 1, we should joyfully give thanks to God because he transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. If you're a Christian, I got great news for you. You've been rescued and you are protected. 1 John chapter 5 says, we are of God, little children. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one, but the son of God has come and the evil one cannot touch us. I'm thankful for that. The devil, the, the devil had sway in my life for way too long, and he scared me. And I still have a sober respect to him. I, I don't look at him and say, I'm going to punch you in the mouth, devil. The Bible says not even the archangel Michael spoke a railing accusation against the devil, but he said, the Lord rebuke you. But you know what? I don't have to be afraid of the devil. I don't have to be afraid of men. Isaiah said, why do you fear men in whose breath is but nostrils, or in whose nostrils is but breath? The one we fear is the living God. Jesus said, why would you fear him who can kill your body? The only one you need to worry about is Jesus. And thank God that we are kept from Satan. We have been rescued permanently. Now, I believe church discipline is when you're put back and Satan gets to, to torment you for a time. He can't, he can't take your soul, 
But Christians who are in relationship with Christ and in a fellowship of the local church, the Son of God cannot touch us. Thank God. And you know what? You got keys to rescue people. Would you please let the Holy Ghost work through you? It wasn't just Paul when Jesus said, I want you to go and turn men from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of God. When you lead a little child to Christ, you just rescued them from the power of Satan to the power of God. Amen? So number one, let's praise God. Let's sing with Martin Luther. Though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. So let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, but God's truth abideth still and his kingdom is forever. So number one, we praise God that we've been delivered from Satan through our precious Lord Jesus when he hung on that cross. Who is worthy? He is. The lion overcame Satan. And he comes out of the grave and he goes, now I got the keys. And Hebrews chapter 2 says he holds this whole world in fear of death. But not us. But the second application is to ask this question. Why would God permit demons to torment unsaved people before they die? You go, I don't get that, God. Why would you allow demons to torment people before they die? Well, let's think about that. What's he going to do to unbelievers after they die? They're going to be tormented. And that is as, as clear as glass in the Bible. Revelation 20 verse 10 says, The devil himself will be thrown into the lake of fire and he'll be tormented day and night forever. Revelation 20, 14 and 15 says, If your name's not written in the book of life, you're going to be thrown into the lake of fire. Unless people tell you that hell just lasts for a few moments and then you annihilate, the Bible says this, if anyone worships the beast, Revelation 14, the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever and they have no rest day and night. So remember this, the outcome of an unbeliever is eternal torment. You say, you're trying to scare me? I go, sort of, but for a reason. So again, just, just think of the logic. Why would God allow unbelievers to be tormented with almost a foretaste of hell? 2 Peter chapter 3 says, God is not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. God longs for people to be saved. And some people he brings to himself, the kindness of God brings men to repentance. But so does the torment of God bring some to repentance. You know, I've often taken back by people who say, you know, my life is hell. And I've always been quick to say, oh, no, wait a minute, pal. You know, you have no idea what hell is like. But as I reflect on this passage, and I think about, I, I don't even, I can't even envision what kind of pain would cause people to be in such torment that they want to die and they can't. But all I can say is, I don't believe that God is up there going, I just like to make people miserable. So, as we think about Satan's plan to steal, kill, and destroy, and to keep people blinded to the gospel, to drag them into hell with them, thank God that sometimes the Bible says God can use the wrath of man to praise him. I don't think for a minute these demons are going, I sure hope that after I torment these people, they get saved. These are just God's minions. 
These are his puppets to accomplish his purposes. But let's pray that God will pour out on this world. If it's the punishment of a pandemic, but it ultimately results in the repentance of many people, then praise God. Praise God that in these last days, and let's be praying that God will bring many more to himself. Temporary torment is God's reminder that he's patient but not absent, and he's not willing for any to perish. As we close, I, I want to bring out one more application. The devil hates the church, okay? And he doesn't just come to destroy unbelievers. He comes to dismantle the church. When Jesus came to earth, his means of rescuing and redeeming his elect was to build communities called the body of Christ, the church. And Satan has many ways of trying to destroy the church, often from the outside through persecution, but sometimes through the inside of false teaching and division. As I was thinking about 1 Corinthians 1 through 4, the Apostle Paul wrote an inspired letter of God because the church was torn apart with division. And he said something that I found very striking. He said, I want you to all agree and say the same thing. And I believe with all my heart, if Paul lived today, he would write a letter to the church in America and he would talk about the pandemic and politics and race and the Christian response to it. And you go, yeah, well, that's pretty easy. You should all agree and say the same thing. Good luck with that, right? I don't think what Paul meant is that we all need to have the exact same opinion on things that are not major doctrines of Scripture. But I do know one thing he didn't want was division, pride, divisiveness, speaking evil of one another because they hold a different opinion. That's not from God. James says, if you think you're religious and you can't bridle your tongue, your religion is worthless. And he goes on in chapter 3 to say this, who among you thinks you're wise? He said, if your wisdom is driven by selfish ambition, that's not from God. He said, the wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, reasonable, gentle, and full of mercy. So let's understand right now that people have a variety of opinions about the masks and about the pandemic. We've got people over here saying, it's all a conspiracy and it's wearing a mask is like giving in to the beast. We've got people over here going, if you don't wear a mask, you're a crazy nut wanting to kill everybody and everything in between. And what I wanna ask you to do is pray for us as leaders. Unfortunately, God has not designed the church to be a democracy where we all just vote on every single detail. But somehow as leaders, God entrusts us to make decisions. And we recognize that even this shift that we've made on mask will make some glad, mad, sad, and had. And so we wanna ask you, please, you're welcome to share your comments with us, but temper them with grace. Temper them with an understanding that we, we don't just, as the elders and pastors gather, we don't just go, Hey, yeah, what do you guys think? Whoop, let's do it. We're praying, we're thinking, we're pondering, and we recognize that no matter where we end up, somebody ain't gonna like it, okay? So, and, and we don't claim to have divine authority that thus saith the Lord. We may make mistakes at times, 
but we appreciate your love and prayers, and, and, and we pledge to you as elders and pastors to love and respect and work together with you guys. So I'm excited about our church. I think God is at work. We're seeing good things happen. But if you'll be patient and prayerful with us as we make decisions and, and, and be a peacemaker as, as you hear people, no matter what your opinion is, when you hear people disparaging, saying those fools, those fearful, those crazy nuts want to kill everybody, just let's, let's just bring the wisdom of God and ask the Holy Spirit to allow us to go, you know what, I could hold a different opinion from someone else, but it doesn't make them an idiot, but nor does it make me an idiot, nor does it mean that my science trumps your science. We're the body of Christ, amen? We belong to the Lamb. We've been bought by the blood. There are bigger things going on. Souls are perishing. We don't have time to be bickering. We got time to be praying and pleading with God to unify us and to send us out while these demons are beating people down, we've got living water. We've got the bomb of Gilead. We're the beggars who know where the bread is. And so let's pray that God, in the midst of all this, will be glorified. And no matter how much you're suffering today, it won't be long. It won't be long until we're in the presence of God. Salvation belongs to our God. You did it, Lord. You did it. So you brought me safe thus far, Lord. May your grace lead me home. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, now we close with gratitude to you. You are a great and awesome God. You're doing things on this world that boggle our minds. You took us into a, a, a world that we just have no clue. But Father, the things that are seen, the Bible tells us, are temporary. The things that are not seen are eternal. And you've called us as Christians to walk by faith, not by sight. We're not worried about the demons that are still in the abyss. But we remember that there are many demons who are trying to cause us to turn away from Christ. Protect your church, protect our families, protect our children, protect our loved ones, protect those who are suffering persecution today. And we praise you, Father, that we don't fight this battle alone, that all authority is given to Jesus and he is with us always. So advance your gospel here in Yardley, Bucks County, and to the ends of the earth. We pray also particularly for our brothers and sisters in Syria and Lebanon, that you would give them unusual peace and power. And thank you, Lord, for your word. May we continue as we go into the deep meat and mysteries of the word to end up not being confused, but comforted and worshiping you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. Thank you for your prayers. Have a wonderful day.